You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. I don't know about you guys, but you know, sometimes when uh, people give me lots of praise, tell me I'm doing a really good job at something, it goes to my head. It probably doesn't happen to you guys. You're probably a lot less sinful than I am, but it happens to me. And I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, just, it took place a while ago, so I'm a little less embarrassed about it now. But I was uh, just finishing up my master's degree and... Um, I, was, I had a, a lot of pride in life because every single job interview I'd ever gone on, I got a job offer out of it. And uh, I, I felt like I was really good about putting together a resume. And um, I even had like a little side hustle going on where I helped other people do their resumes. And you know, I felt really good about it. We were moving back to the Albany area from uh, down by uh, New York City. And uh, my, I'd had a graduate assistantship in my beginning years in, in my grad program, but I wasn't going to be able to have it this last semester of my program. And so I was looking for other jobs. And of course, you know, right, of course, I sent out a resume and I I had an opportunity for an interview and I'm feeling really good about it. It was for a Jewish nonprofit. It was for a fundraising position. And I go to the interview. Oddly enough, the interview was on a Sunday, but I went to the interview. And uh, about halfway through the interview, I realized that it was a little drafty down here. And I realized that my fly is unzipped. And, and awkwardly enough, the, the person doing the interview is about 10 years older than I am. And we're the only people in the office. And so it's, I'm, I'm like deeply embarrassed. I have like a little stack of resumes with me. I'm covering up just thinking, I hope she didn't see this, right? This is really awkward. And, uh, but you know, like it sort of ruins your vibe in the rest of the, uh, the uh, interview. And uh, I, know, I never know. I mean, we never had a conversation with this lady, never ran into her again. And needless to say, I did not get the job. I don't know if she really knew that my fly was unzipped. But I think it's a great lesson in the fact, right? The reminder of Proverbs that, uh, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I didn't handle it very well when I'd been given all that praise and all those attaboys and people were blowing smoke and telling me how good I was. And today we're going to look at a time where that happens in Jesus' life. And he handles it really differently than I would have. I'm sure you guys would have handled it just like Jesus. So that's good. Um, We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11 and uh, looking at the first 11 verses in that uh, chapter. So Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Let's read that together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What I want to do is I want to break down that passage sort of verse by verse and then ask you two big questions at the end of that. 
So it begins, it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem. So you get this sense of a culmination of a journey. This sermon series that we have has been called Path to Glory. And it feels like it ought to be a, a video game. Um, you know, it's sort of epic sounding, right? And, and as this chapter begins, now when they drew near to Jerusalem. So you feel like the end of the journey is coming. The path to glory is there. And this must be the glory to which this sermon series refers, right? You think about what these people do. And yet what we're going to find out is that the path continues. Where we often think the path as human beings leads, God has another plan in mind. So uh, the sense of this culmination of the journey would have been natural for all the people that were there. Jesus would have felt it. He would have known what was coming for him. And the disciples would have felt that there was a sense uh, from the time that they had left Galilee and traveled up to Jerusalem, that there was a sense that something big was going to happen. So they draw near to Jerusalem and they travel through two little villages called Bethphage and Bethany. And Bethany might ring a bell with you because Bethany is the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And you might remember that Jesus had raised earlier in his uh, time on here on earth, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so there was something special. So it's not surprising at all that Jesus would travel to what would eventually be the crucifixion and spend time in Bethany, uh, probably with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. There was something special about the relationship that he has with them. And it says in uh, verse two, it says, go into the village in front of you. And I have a little uh, map uh, that James will put up, but it will show uh, what we're talking about. So where Bethany was located was on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. Uh, Bethphage would have been the village that was between Bethany and Jerusalem. So when Jesus says in verse two, go into the village in front of you, he's probably in Bethany pointing these disciples to the village of Bethphage and saying, hey, go into that village and you will find a donkey, a colt tied there, a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Uh, no one has ever sat. What, why that? What does that mean? In Jewish tradition, uh, there's an animal that's never been ridden or harnessed has special spiritual significance. So we actually see this in the law in uh, Numbers chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 21, but probably the most well-known example of this takes place uh, in the Old Testament where God gives direction to the people of Israel to move the Ark of the Covenant. You might remember that story. They're going to move it from one location to another, and their direction is given to take two cows that have never been yoked together, and those are the two cows, cows that are to pull this cart. So there's something of a spiritual significance that may have been lost on the disciples at this moment, but Christ is harking to that, the spiritual significance of using an animal that's never been ridden or never been harnessed before. And then he says, uh, he gives them direction, right? He says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Here's your response. Here's your answer. And I don't know about you, but I've always had this thought about that. Well, was Jesus telling them to go steal a donkey? You know, what's, what's going on in this story, really? But we know when we look ahead in verse 6 that that's not the case. Because when these disciples take the donkey and they're challenged about it, their response is, hey, the Lord has need of it. And instantly the people that hear that, the owners of the donkey, know, hey, it's okay. Maybe this is something that Jesus... Jesus has worked out ahead of time, that he said that this was going to happen, or the fact that it was Jesus that wanted it was enough of an answer for them, and they felt good about it. But whatever the case, the disciples bring the donkey back uh, to Jesus, 
and it says that they put their cloaks on the donkey's back. That would have been a kind of saddle uh, for the donkey. And in then verse eight, it says, uh, many of them spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And so you picture Jesus riding on this donkey across these coats and cloaks that have been put down, uh, these branches that have been put down in front of him on this uh, real triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And um, this is a picture, like in our modern world, this would be like the red carpet treatment, right? We roll out the red carpet and somebody that's rich or famous, is, is, that's their way of coming into some, uh, some entry, some, making an amazing entry into wherever they're going. And the peons like you and I are standing on the side sort of cheering them on as they come into uh, whatever this site is that they're coming into, right? And so this was like the red carpet treatment of their day. And this would have been the kind of thing that a king would have done when he returned to his city. It would have been what a conquering military uh, general might have done when he was welcomed back into his city. There was a, a celebration at the arrival of this great individual. And we see what they say in verse 8. It says, uh, or verse 9, uh, they go before Christ and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the word Hosanna means save now. And in that time period, it already had become a word beyond just the word Hosanna. It was also a term of praise and worship that they would have used. And he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 26. In the Psalms from Psalm 113 through 118 are called the Halal Psalms. And these Psalms were part of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Passover. Remember what Jesus is doing where the timing is? This is, this is the time when the, the pilgrims from all across the Jewish territory came to the Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So it's the beginning of the Passover festival and the, uh, the greeting that was given by many would have echoed the same thing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this would have been a song that was sung. And so the people are greeting Jesus with a, a message that's right out of the Passover message. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it says in verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And suddenly there's a little wrench thrown into our story. There's a, a different way of seeing things where we start to realize the disciples had one idea in mind and Jesus might've had a different idea in mind. Because they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Their desire for, for Jesus to come as the Messiah was the one who would overthrow the Romans, who would kick them out of Jerusalem and the surrounding area and would give and restore the, the geopolitical power that the people had, the Jewish people had during the kingdom of David. That was their desire for Christ. And it sort of comes through and they see it in this moment. And what Jesus is doing is a whole different deal. His deal comes out of a fulfillment of the prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And we're going to read that together. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And it says there, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So, we have this contrast, right? 
We have this contrast between what Jesus was all about, what, they, what he meant when he said the word Messiah, and what the, the Jewish people that were greeting him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what they meant and what they wanted when, they, when it came to Messiah. So on the one side, you have a group of individuals who wanted him riding on a stallion and a war horse into Jerusalem to take over uh, from the uh, Roman authorities. And on, on the other side, you have what Jesus really did. He rides a donkey that had never been ridden into the city. You have this contrast because it says uh, they want him to come in with the purpose of, of taking on the Romans, of, of war, of battle, of, of victory uh, on behalf of the Jewish people. And it says in Zechariah chapter 9, I'm all about fulfilling, uh, uh, bringing peace, speaking peace to the nations, right? This contrast that exists. Um, they, they wanted him to... Um, uh, they wanted him to have an earthly purpose, right? The purpose was to take over from the Romans, to restore the Jewish people, restore the kingdom of David, and Christ's purposes were spiritual. You see this again in Zechariah chapter 9. He's righteous in having salvation. So he's bringing salvation in that moment, and the people fail to recognize it. And finally, uh, their, their view of what they wanted from Jesus was all about getting rid of the Romans in their city, in that surrounding area, in restoring uh, the height of their geopolitical powers under the kingdom of David, which was not really that big a deal. And what is Jesus all about? It's about fulfilling what we see in, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, the second half of it. It says, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the world. Do you, ever, do you see that contrast? We think we understand this understanding of who Jesus is, and it's yet so much bigger than, than those disciples understood, so much bigger than we as people tend to understand as well. Um, let's jump back just for a moment to chapter 11 of Mark. I want to finish up the narrative and then I have two questions for you. Uh, verse 11, it talks about what happens when he, it says he enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he looks around, but it's late. So he leaves and he goes to Bethany. Now, this is a bit of a premonition for what's going to come because we know if we keep reading this passage that what he does is he comes back the next day and he cleanses the temple because there was all this corruption going on that was marring the kind of relationship that God wanted to have with his people. And so he, it's a setup for what's going to happen uh, the next day where the temple is cleansed. And he goes out to Bethany, and we don't know exactly why. Maybe it was so he could spend more time with Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus, or perhaps it's because he knew being there, he was safely removed from the, the Jewish and Roman authorities that might seek to arrest him ahead of the schedule that he knew existed. But for whatever reason, he leaves. And so we sort of conclude our narrative there. And I want to finish this sermon today with two big questions for you. One, how do you handle it? when te people tell you how great you are? How do you handle it when people are praising you and telling you uh, great stuff and they're, they're blowing smoke and they're starting to believe your press, own press releases? How do you handle it in that moment? Because our human tendency is that we embrace that. We start to feed off that and we start to look for it, right? We make that post on Instagram and we get a whole bunch of responses to it. And man, that feeds us for a day with all the dopamine that produces. And then the next day, I got to find something else to post about because I got to keep getting some of those feeds and those positive feedback from people. And just think about if Jesus had done that, how he would have diverted him. Because not four or five days later than this story that we read, that same crowd, many of those same people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. 
And I think there's a lesson for us in that, right? Our tendency when we believe the hype that's been told about us, when we're looking for that praise from people is it distracts us from the purpose that God has for us and leads us to a place where we're torn apart by the people that are in our lives because we're always looking for their favor. Second question that I have is, what Jesus are you looking for? Right, the people that were greeting Jesus that said, um, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had an idea of the kind of Jesus that they were looking for. They wanted this Messiah that would help them overcome the Romans, that would drive out the Romans, that would restore the Davidic kingdom. And uh, that was the kind of Jesus that they wanted. My question for you is, what Jesus are you looking for? Because the thing that they did wrong is that when we determine the kind of Jesus that we're looking for, we're automatically putting ourselves above that Jesus. We're saying, hey, this is the kind of Jesus I want you to be. This is the kinds of things that I need you doing. It puts us in the position of God. And that's, that's just, that's a dangerous place to be in. Because God's design, God's desire for us is that we look for the real Jesus, the Jesus that's uh, outlined in this passage, and we recognize uh, who he is and what he wants to do, because his desire is, uh, he loves us and he wants to restore us to relationship with him. He's made a way for us to be in relationship with him. And our tendency when we want some other kind of Jesus is that we're trying to drive and direct and, and make decisions and be like a mini God ourselves, and we're messing up the gospel message in doing that. Two things about finding the real Jesus, the power of looking for the real Jesus. One is that when we recognize that, there's assurance in a broken, fallen world. Because what happens when we put ourselves in the position of God and we direct how we want Jesus to act on our behalf, the mess that's out there in the world it destroys us. If, if we don't have the context of the fact that God is working towards his end, his purposes, he's all about his kingdom building work, it gives us no perspective about the junk that's going on in the world where we, we struggle with corruption, we struggle with the racism that exists, we struggle with the brokenness of people, the hurt, the pain, the broken lives and families that are out there. How do we make sense of this? But in the middle of that, when we recognize the real Jesus, we realize that God is all about his kingdom building work. And that should give us assurance and hope in our lives. Second thing that we know, the second power we have for looking for the real Jesus is, a, is the same kind of assurance, but it's a personal peace uh, that comes from trust. Right when I'm when I in my life and I want to control things and I want Jesus to be doing what I want be, Jesus to be doing and I want Jesus to sort of be my Jesus doing what I'm asking Him to do, that puts that brings a ton of anxiety. That brings a ton of the the issues that tear us apart individually. But when I can live my life uh, recognizing that my trust is in God and God is all about His kingdom building work, that gives me a sense of peace about who I am and what I'm doing and how to make sense of this world around me. So. So when we understand, when we recognize and we're looking for the real Jesus, it gives us assurance and hope in a broken, fallen world, and it gives us assurance of a personal peace that comes from trust. So I'll ask you again, what Jesus are you looking for? Are you looking for the real Jesus? Or are you looking for a Jesus that you can sort of tell what to do yourself? Let's pray. 
God, we love you and we're so grateful to you. Lord, the, the power of the story, uh, the fact that they throw down these palm branches in front of you as you entered Jerusalem uh, and it is not the fact that they uh, were mistaken perhaps, but that unknowingly they were worshiping you and that's what you deserve. That's what you deserve from us. But Lord, help us to be seeking and worshiping the real Jesus whose purpose is about the kingdom building work of the Father. Lord, I just would ask that you would help us to be like that in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com. Thank you.